and he started asking me questions and kind of like peeling the onion, like peeling layers out of me, uh, like asking me questions even like, do you know what love is? Do you really love your husband? This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. This week, we meet Alicia, a woman who claims to have lost everything. I was super intrigued. What exactly did that mean? What did she lose and how? Let's go beyond to find out. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Alicia. I'm a single mama living in Canada, Toronto. Over the last couple of years, I lost everything to finally find myself, so I can't wait to share my story. Alicia is a mother to a 12-year-old daughter. She's just the only one because, unfortunately, I always wanted to have a second one. But I already knew that I am not in a very healthy relationship. And even though I was trying, I think God or universe was kind of protecting me through miscarriages. So I, I went through two miscarriages and I just decided that that's the sign. So and she's the only one. If we know, there can be a lot of emotions to unpack with a miscarriage. However, this was not the focus of today's story. So we do skim over this pretty quickly, but not at all to diminish the pain that miscarriage comes with. Getting pregnant was never a problem for me, but then for some reason I couldn't um, carry the pregnancy twice in a row and it was pretty traumatic. Back then I was very disconnected from my body. So even the miscarriage was like, okay, like it happened. I didn't really process it. I only started processing it after a couple of years from miscarriage. It may sound a little bit strange, but sometimes when we're really disconnected and like traumatized, like we don't really have the capacity to address it. So the miscarriages were like the second one was really bad. And the way the medical system approaches it was very disappointing. So I just decided that I'm not going to do it because <laughs> I couldn't probably couldn't go through the third one like this. So if miscarriage wasn't the heart of the matter, what other difficult things were in the story to come? At this point, we went back to set the stage. I was born and raised in Poland and um, my childhood was a bit traumatic, but I didn't have awareness of that. My father was an alcoholic and abusive alcoholic. So he was physically abusing my mom. And I have only one, one sister. She's one year older. And he was always favorizing me so I could always protect my mom with my body when he was like really angry. So he wouldn't like really physically hurt her, even though he did many times. So that was my childhood. My mom in the end left him. I don't really remember. I think we were already in high school because I have a very blurry vision from my childhood. Like I only remember a little. I guess now after therapy, I know that it's like a trauma response. It's just your nervous system is protecting you. So you don't really... Uh, remember the details. Her parents separated, but through high school and college, Alicia was still tending to her father and childhood property. She remembered cutting the grass as her father sat and watched smoking from a chair on the porch. Back in Poland, we were raised in a small village, so everyone uh, was praising me for being a good girl, like taking care of the property. I didn't see anything wrong. I kind of had the sense that, like, gosh, like this is probably not right, but. No one ever told me about seeing a psychologist or therapy. 
I don't know. I was surrounded by people in Poland that was that were never into it. Now I understand that I basically was surrounded that similar traumatized people that were just stuck in the same patterns, in the same upbringing and family dynamics. So I had no awareness of that. And then I came to Canada for a vacation to visit my aunt. And I met uh, my husband and I decided to stay in Canada, kind of to escape Poland. I remember that like subconsciously, I really wanted to escape. Keep in mind that Alicia had been afraid of relationships in the past. I mean, her very first relationship ever was at 22 years old. So now here she is in Canada and she met this man. And he is very like small and he is not a loud person. So I remember that I said like, okay, I can marry him because he's not going to hit me and he's not going to be yelling at me. But he had his addictions. So... Back then, I didn't know that I'm repeating exactly the same thing. I was raised by the father an alcoholic, and I was just being attracted to troubled people. Like, even I had guys falling in love with me that were, like, really great people, and I would be, like, repelled by them because I wanted, I was only attracted by, like, complicated personalities, I guess. But back then, being 25, I had no awareness of it. They married quickly so she could stay in Canada. Life was good compared to Poland. Money came easier in Canada. I got really attracted to this consumerism culture. And so I was just buying happiness. We had a marriage. Yeah, we had everything. We bought a condo. We had everything that we needed. We were just checking off the boxes and then the child came. But inside the marriage, we were so disconnected. They were constantly fighting due to his addiction to marijuana. She acknowledges that this can be a tricky subject. Yes, marijuana is legal in many places, and she means no judgment. This is just her truth. She explained that her husband needed to smoke so often and so much that he became emotionally unavailable. For a marriage to work, I believe emotional availability is pretty crucial. He was smoking marijuana uh, all the time, and he was dependent on it. He wouldn't be able to fall asleep, like he wouldn't be able to, uh, like he had to like to take the edge off. And I thought that. Me being so perfect will basically fix him, will basically make him heal from his addictions and choose me and, and we will be able to create a great relationship. And now I know that I was emotionally available too. Now I know it because I went through therapy. So I could see I was just constantly arguing with him and I didn't have the knowledge that what I see in him is basically what I have to address within me. It was all about me and I didn't see it back then. I was like projecting my own trauma on poor, yeah, poor him. Uh, Because first of all, I shouldn't be even marrying him if I didn't love him for who he was before we got married. But, you know, like no one tells you those things and I had no awareness of it. So I was really hoping to fix him. Alicia and her husband never had that passion, chemistry, or what some would call the honeymoon phase. I was just such a broken little child. That I, not feeling worthy of something better than I guess my mom had in her life as a relationship and also my aunts, like my entire family system kind of works this way. We were like that for 10 years. They didn't have any of the same interest. She would go out to parties with friends and he would just sit at home and smoke. Eventually, their daughter was born. They both enjoyed spending time with her, but separately. He would spend time with her and Alicia would go out with friends. We would never be interested in doing stuff together, even hanging out with friends. So it was pretty empty marriage. 
I realized that I was buying happiness. I was very materialistic. I was attracted to this uh, American dream life, just shopping constantly, like getting a bigger house, a better car. I was just doing this, not realizing that basically I'm just running away from myself. And then the jobs as well. I was attracting employers that I would always overperform. I would be overachiever and I always would feel underappreciated. It was during this time Alicia suffered a miscarriage. Her husband was less than supportive throughout that experience as well. I was 12 weeks pregnant and uh, the way they helped you with miscarriage, they want you to do it on your own, even though let's say the baby was without a heartbeat already for like two weeks. And then they want you to just walk around and just wait for it to happen. So like I would have to go to work. And and back then I was also stuck in this mindset that my body doesn't really matter. It's all about work, paycheck and stuff like that. So I wouldn't just stop, pause and, and stay home and wait. So it wasn't happening. So then they give you pills. And then when they give you pills, they warn you that it may be pretty intense. So it was pretty intense. It was like a basically steak coming from my body, a couple of steaks. And then my husband would be just sleeping. And yeah, I would be just doing it all by myself. So yeah, we were just so disconnected, so immature, so broken and in many different ways. She graduated the university in the same trade as her mom, admin or office management, dealing with documents, accounting, that kind of stuff. She worked as a dental receptionist and coordinator for a while, then eventually was led to this job that, and I quote, was the apocalypse of everything that crashed in her life. I moved to a completely different industry. I was an office manager for a big planning and heating company taking care of high-rise buildings in Toronto. So I would be working mostly with men. And that was very interesting dynamic and very different dynamic for me. I was happy working there because it was a bit different. It was a bit less drama than working in dentistry only with women. The man who was her manager began to take an interest in Alicia. From the time's perspective, I know that what he was doing wasn't even right, but I didn't see it. Like I could notice that he was very interested in me. And he started asking me questions and kind of like peeling the onion, like peeling layers out of me. Uh, like asking me questions, even like, do you know what love is? Do you really love your husband? Do you? And I wasn't like everyone at work knew that I have to like divorce. I would be divorcing my husband every three months, literally. Like we, we wouldn't have like fights all the time. It would be like, we would be like fighting every three months. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to divorce you. If nothing is going to like change. Right. So even at work, they knew already that I'm in a kind of like, uh, yeah, unhappy marriage. So when he showed up and he started talking to me and I never really, it's like your show, I never really talked to anyone vulnerably, like opening up and sharing like, this is really what I start feeling in my body and who am I really? Like how broken I am to be where I am. And he would be picking up on that and he, for some reason, could feel through me and we got really close. This man was married and knew that yes, she was still married as well, but she had never felt so seen and so heard. He kind of like seduced me and, and I never had that kind of relationship with a man to talk to someone. Like even with therapists, the therapist couldn't like take the stuff out from me the way he was doing it. Uh, so I got really attracted to him, I would say. 
so it kind of was like an emotional affair, probably. That's what you would call. Cheating is never okay in my book, by the way. But it's so easy to point fingers when you're on the outside looking in. I admire Alicia's courage in telling us this side of her story. No, it's not pretty. No one wants to admit to being the other woman. We really learn here that no one in their right mind says, I'm going to have an affair so I can deeply hurt my partner. I think affairs often happen when you get into emotional relationships and can deeply connect with someone other than your partner. There's an amazing book called His Needs, Her Needs, How to Build an Affair-Proof Marriage. And it speaks to this concept. Because of her deep-rooted morals, she decided it was time to get a divorce before she made a mistake she would long regret. So then I decided that that's it. I have to divorce. If I can have like a vulnerable relationship with a man that I can actually share myself with a man, that would be awesome to be in a marriage like that. So I made a decision that I have to divorce. And when I make a decision, it happens pretty quick. So I made a decision and we divorced like within maybe six months. We sold the house. I moved out. She was 35 at this point and began therapy. It was at this point, learning about herself, where she finally realized she was carrying a lot of childhood trauma. I do have an adult child of an alcoholic syndrome. I am a codependent people pleaser. It's not about me, never. It's always about others. I never knew how to choose myself, and I never knew how to start healing whatever I experienced during my childhood because no child should experience whatever I experienced, like protecting with your own body or your mom or like, you know, running away from the house in your pajama. Like no one should ever experience stuff like that, but it happens. And I'm not blaming my parents because they did the best what they could with what they knew. For some reason, I was always attracting like a lot of corruption, a lot of playing games with the system. And again, like now from the time perspective, I see it as the beautiful realization because it's all mirrors, right? I'm not sure if you heard of like a mirror work. Like if we judge someone or if someone upsets us, it's like a, the greatest mirror for me. So if I was only attracting employers that would be either like abusing employees, not really following their rights or would be abusing the system and like doing corruption, it's like, where am I corrupting myself? Where am I abandoning myself? Like, what does it mean about me, right? It's not about my employer, but... We're not being taught those things at school, only through like therapy and courses. So she had done this mirroring thing again, attracting this man into her life. He might obsessively uh, fall in love with me. And that's what I thought that maybe I'm in love with him too, but it wasn't a love. It was another trauma bond, another thing to rip me apart. And I would call it an affair. Yeah. But I wasn't with him when I was with my husband. While she refers to this as an emotional affair... She never was with the man intimately. Actually, she grew up Catholic, therefore has lived to strict rules for herself. That's why I also was in my marriage for so long because I'm Catholic and in church. And it's like, you know, till death do us part. And I was very like ashamed at how am I going to break those vows, right? So I think if it wasn't for that, I would probably divorce maybe a year into our marriage or Maybe when I just shortly after I had my daughter, I already felt really unhappy and I left for Poland for maybe six months with my daughter. And we didn't even ever need with my husband to communicate, to message, to call. 
yeah, so I was always following the rules. I was always Mrs. Perfect, which is another trauma response because it's life is not perfect and everything that happens to you is for a reason. And I think like we were chatting before we started recording, it's like we shouldn't be judging people. We should only be compassionate. And But it takes time and it takes your own healing to be compassionate. So when I met this guy at work and he was also very unhappy in his marriage and he really like took over me, my mind especially, he was doing very inappropriate things even in the workspace and he wanted just to have me just to him. Yeah, my coworkers really loved me and really loved chatting with me, like going for beers or normal things. And I wasn't even with him. Like he was literally my manager and he would like making comments and giving me a hard time. She didn't realize how obsessed with her he was until after her divorce. Alicia had told him she would not be with him until his divorce because she was not going to be part of an affair anymore. His divorce process was very slow and she started to wonder if the process was even happening at all. He attracted me with his talk, but then the actions didn't follow. And as we know, it's pure manipulation, like the words without action. It's just pure manipulation. But I was so still broken back then that I didn't really know how to handle it. And I so wanted this to work because I got really attracted to his hugs because I never got hugged as a child and I never hugged my husband and I was never hugged. I never got the touch that I, I guess every child needs. And his hugs were amazing. <laughs> so I, again, I was just very broken little Alicia that got attracted to that part in him. And I so wanted this to work because again, we have those attachments like, okay, my life was so messed up, so hurtful. I'm 36. Maybe I can build a family, finally family for my daughter with a person that at least we have that passion, chemistry. We can talk for hours. There's at least something new, something that I've never experienced in my entire life. So I got really attached to that thing and I wanted it to work. Alicia would stop talking to him for a couple of months and he would come back saying he was ready to work it out. And again, he was lying. There was a lot of lies and a lot of manipulation, but I trusted him and I, I was praying for him, praying for his transformation. At the same time, she started attending these group courses with other women. She noticed she was feeling very ashamed of this relationship. Alicia also found out this man had a case of sexual harassment filed against him at his old work. With her new mindset, it became clear to her that one, she had been sexually harassed by this man, and two, she needed to leave this job. So I said like, okay, I can't do this. I have to totally disappear because I can't be with him in the same office. And then I started to talking to him. I'm like, well, you've been a manager for 25 years before and because he was older. And I said, like, I think whatever you were doing to me was actually a sexual harassment work. And I probably should file it. But I, again, I didn't want to cause any hurt, any damage, but it was for sure inappropriate how it started. So I was very ashamed of it. And I got really lucky connecting with different beautiful containers of other women that were dealing with. Sometimes we think that our life is, you know, the worst, whatever happened to us. But once you connect with other women and hear their stories, and I know you know, because that's what your podcast is all about, shame normalizes because you can hear a stories when a woman has to have an abortion and when the pregnancy is like 20 weeks into the pregnancy because she's in such a bad mental state and she was raped. Like you hear all these stories and then you say like, and here I am stuck in my, which is minus so little comparing to others. And again, it's not little or big. 
It's just about sharing and being held in a safe container, especially by other women and being told like, you know what, like you did the best you could with what you knew. Let's take a break. Do you ever feel a little bit exhausted by your social media feed? Seeing everyone else's perfect moments and forget to remember that they have a whole life going on behind the scenes? Well, join us in our free Facebook community. This community is our secret little place to escape all of the perfection we see here on social media and connect with women just like you who are ready to be done comparing and start being compassionate to themselves and others. Find it at facebook.com slash groups slash beyond the picket fence. Link also in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. We're back. In this story, Alicia has built a life for 34 years. A life to please others. Now, she's lost everything. She has no job, no partner. She lost most of her friends. With nothing left, she has to rebuild. You did the best you could with what you knew. And now it's time to heal from it. And it took me a long time to heal from it, to release that shame, to forgive myself, to forgive others, and then start basically a new life and commit like deep commitment to spiritual practices, to yoga, meditation, breath work, therapy. At some point, I just hit the wall with just talking to a therapist. I, I got more engaged in courses, like, so you can share with other people with big containers, like coaching containers. And yeah, and that's how I um, started new life, started attracting different people, started healing really deeply and, and connecting with the inner child within me, which was a really hard part for me to, to connect with that little Alicia and reparent her, like give her the parenting that she needed when she wasn't able to receive it. We have to realize that let's say my divorce, let's say this affair, it all showed up for me to address stuff from the past. So my shame was bubbling to the surface and I never talked to anyone through my childhood. Like at school, like I wasn't going to my teacher and saying like, I'm actually so exhausted because I can't get any sleep in my house. Like I'm seeing this and this. I was never expressing anything to what I've experienced in my childhood. So I internalized my shame for at least good 12 to 13 years of my life. I've never vocalized my shame. So your body keeps the score, as Gabor Mate says, it's all in your nervous system. So then you bring those experiences to your life to help you address it. Because if you're not going to, it doesn't make sense. If you're not going to address it, you're going to get sick. You may get cancer. You may get other autoimmune immune diseases. I do believe that our body is just giving us sign that we have to process those emotions. We have to cry. Like 2020, I think I cried so much. I didn't even know if I have any tears left, like literally. <laughs> And on top of that, COVID hit. So we were all stuck in our homes and I had no family in Canada. So I think this, just realizing that it's not about divorce, it's not about the affair, like it is a little bit too, but that shame has to come also. If it's really strong, you have to bring it back to the past. And often we don't remember things, right? That's why the third thing is my commitment to, I am passionate practitioner of Kundalini yoga and breath work and somatic work, because whatever we're experiencing in our life, like I said, I don't really remember much till at least I was 12 or 13. 
also through my high school and university, I am, I have very blurry vision. I remember everything what this guy was telling me when he really wanted to be with me. He was so in love. All this, he was like even upset at me why I remember all these horrible things he was doing to me. It was because I needed to remember because I couldn't remember anything from the childhood and it was very similar, actually. It was very similar. It was an abuse. It was a manipulation. It was like a lot of like not physical abuse, but like mental abuse. So breath work, kundalini yoga, it gets you to your nervous system, to your subconscious. Like we operate 95% from our subconscious mind. To get to your subconscious, you can't get it through your thoughts. You have to meditate and breath work just clears your minds, like removes that density of your mind and takes you right into your body. And I'm not talking about breath work that is just like the pranayama, like yogi breath, like the, the soothing breath that you sometimes do before your regular yoga practice. If you research kundalini or like deep breath work healing, it's a very powerful breathing techniques that are taking you out of your body and uh, your mind is shut down. You have to experience it to understand it. But I think that's why I was doing different challenges, kundalini challenges for compassion. Uh, for forgiveness and and I think that's when that's when I was able to give myself like the grace and and especially I'm like recovering perfectionism and people pleaser that was very hard for me like I may sound like that right now in 2022 but had you talked to me in 2020 I would be like broken and I wouldn't be able to overcome it and or like I would heal and this guy would show up again after like seven months and I would again give him chance and he would then break me again in pieces. So it's a lot of work and it's always grace over perfection and just trusting and committing to the process and being really intentional. So like every morning I would be waking up really early around five with an intention for more healing, more forgiveness, more release. And I would be practicing 40 days in a row, different challenges. The most help I received was in those group coaching containers of other women. And I would say 70% in this Kundalini yoga and work with your body. This was very interesting to me. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable here myself. Growing up in a church environment for a long time, I felt afraid. Like yoga and stuff like that was a little hokey. I didn't understand how this can actually connect to my spirituality and my belief in God. Since Alicia is so kind and gentle, I felt safe enough to ask these straight up questions. Does doing these practices change your belief in God? Is it considered frowned upon by churches? Can you practice this Kundalini yoga and be a Christian? I do believe in God and Jesus. I am also Polish. So in Polish Catholic church is very strict and very shameful and very like, fearful oriented. So I do believe in God and I pray to God. I think it really helped me establish connection with God, to be quite honest, because in the church, the way I was raised, we were just repetitively repeating the same prayers. We're just going to a mass, but I didn't have really spiritual connection. It was like, oh, you have to go to church. Otherwise it's, you are a sinner or you're going to burn in hell. It was this kind of approach or Oh, I, I am a sinner, so I did this. So I'm just going to go to church. In the Catholic church, you confess if you do something wrong. And 
you're constantly repeating the same sins and confessing and then being forgiven and confessing and being forgiven. This is not really addressing the root cause of your sins. So, and it's like, you know, like people have affairs, people do, but why? Like, why? Like, yeah, you are forgiven. Jesus will always forgive you. But can you pause and see where is it coming from? Can you fix it? But so many of us, and I know that in my family and everything, we're constantly doing the same bad things that are not really serving us well. And and we just have this, you know, church, oh, it's, I'm going to be forgiven anyways. And we're just being stuck in this like very different, weird thing. So to answer your question, like I was always like religious on autopilot. Like, you know, there's a Bible, there is a New Testament you have to read, you have to go to church, but did I feel it in my body and my soul? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I was just uh, afraid of doing something wrong. That's why I never did anything wrong. And literally this emotional affair that was the very first thing that I did wrong. That's why I was so drained by it. And I just couldn't recognize myself that I literally like, like, I just, I couldn't, even though it's normal to make mistakes, but that's how I was raised in my church. So. I never was thinking that, and my mom also is not, by the way, not accepting it, like me practicing yoga and stuff like that. My mom, you know, she can even call me that I'm possessed by devil, but I, I just don't react to that anymore. Like it's, my heart goes to her and like, I would love to have really deep connection with her, but I don't think I will ever be able to, but those practices, they really connected me closer to God. Like I, I love my God and I'm always praying for, I'm not praying, give me this, give me this. All I was praying through all those years, like the last three years was just God to give me strength because I have a daughter to raise. And I just want to heal with you and just become the best version of me. And just please support me on this. Just strength, 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 not a new car, not a new vacation, not a new paycheck. Like, and that's how we used to would be like, oh, just play for whatever you want. Like, what is it that you want? What is it that we all should want? I think only one thing, to heal and to become like a, like a great, compassionate, non-judgmental people. Because Jesus was never judging anyone and even the people that crucified him, like he, he would still forgive them. Can you find that within you? Like if someone is hurting you, if someone is hurting your family member, can you see it as a mirror and just forgive them? Like I don't think many of us can. Alicia had to lose everything in order to find her true self, as she would call it, her intuition. It's basically you connecting to your intuition, especially women. We're divine like humans, like we, we are the goddesses. That's why men, often it's so hard to establish relationship with the men that, the, the men that want to like take power. Like I was never like that actually in the relationships. I was always the strong one, like masculine one. And with this guy, he was a lat Latino guy. So he actually, you know, yeah, he got deep into me with all those talks and everything. But I know that he got scared because I am a strong woman. <laughs> Whatever. I can take care of myself. I don't need you to take care of me. All I really want is to be loved and to love you and grow a garden together. I don't need this codependency thing anymore. But I think in this patriarchal society, women are being like put down because the men are in power. But I think it'll, would this world be a better place if men really listen to us a little bit more? Because I think we can connect with our divinity and our intuition way better than them. And 
the more work you do, uh, like spiritual work, whatever you want to try, I think that the deeper the connection would become and the comments or like whatever your things that you're not sure if it's right or wrong, your body will tell you basically, because it's all about listening to your body. I was always my entire life just running to people, running to friends, asking them, what should I do? What is your opinion? I was never like connected to myself. And now I don't have to ask anyone, what should I be doing? I know exactly what to do. And I just want to hang out with people that want to like push me even higher, not people that want to push me down. This is so beautiful. I'm very much in this stage of my life. Like, who the heck am I? And what is my body slash intuition trying to tell me? There's a, this movie called Runaway Bride, and this girl always orders her eggs the same as her boyfriend or fiance or whoever she's with. There's a moment in the movie where she is on this journey trying to figure out who she is without a man. And she's trying to figure out what does she like? She cooks all the different types of egg and finally decides for herself how she really likes her eggs. I feel like that is me right now. At some point in life, I think we really have to stop trying to do what everyone else needs from us but learn to honor our inner voice, our intuition, or what I would call God's true divine purpose for you. It's so freeing to finally stop caring so much what others think. What others think about you is really none of your business. And I think that's what we should all be aiming for because then it's much easier. I know even with my 12-year-old daughter, she cares so much what other people say. That's what I've been doing for most of my life. And that's what my family is all about, my mom especially. It's all about what is like, how can you say no? Like boundaries, right? Like I, I, I didn't know what boundaries were like till I was 37 or 38. Saying no, how can I say no? Yeah, I can say no because I can honor me, honor my time, honor my body and I can say no. And I actually don't have to explain that. It's not personal. If you're going to take it personally, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's not about you. It's actually about me. So that's another thing, like learning how to say uh, no and uh, yeah. Not caring what other people say or think. People are, whatever they think is just what they think about themselves. It's not about me. It's about them. I'm just the mirror. If you're judging me, well, that means that there's the same exactly thing inside you. Are you willing to look into them? It's so inspiring to me how Alicia just has this inner peace about her. She has somehow found a way to cut out the shame. She holds so much grace for herself as well as others and looks at everything like a learning experience. I'm really intrigued by this mirror concept that she kept talking about. So I asked her to expound on that for a moment. So it's like what I was saying, let's say with my husband, I was like constantly arguing with him, like he's emotionally unavailable. He's running away from his emotions because addiction, let's say smoking or drugs or alcohol, it's so easy to label a person, oh, he's an addict, but I am not. Well, I was also addicted. I was addicted from running away all the time, being busy at work and being busy with friends. Like I wouldn't sit still, basically. So he was emotionally unavailable and I was emotionally unavailable too. So whatever I saw in him was the exact thing that I should address within me. With the other guy, he was disrespecting me. He was lying. Where was I abandoning and disrespecting myself? Like... In many ways, I was about, and this work is not easy. Like I was doing it with a specific coach and she was calling me on that. It's, you have to be really strong to be able to, to look into yourself because it's, it's super easy to see faults with others, but 
it's, it takes courage and strength to see those weaknesses within you, actually. So again, Alicia got divorced, quit her job, and when she had nothing, she was finally able to heal. And then she was able to truly to connect to what she loved doing. I was always a very organized and minimized person, and um, but I was very much into consumerism. So I created my business helping people simplify their lives. So basically, I'm passionate about sharing my story, and so many of us struggle with clutter. And especially when we're moms, like we constantly say we're busy, we're overwhelmed, we're anxious, we don't have time. That's the worst thing, I think. We bring kids, and then in the end, we don't have time for those kids. Because we are just like on this autopilot mode, going to work, working long hours just to buy things, to impress people also sometimes who we don't really like. Like that's what I've noticed in Canada. There was this chase between like friendships, especially my parents-in-law and their circle of friends. Like, oh, you're renovating kitchen. Okay, I'm going to renovate kitchen. You're renovating bathroom. Oh, I have to renovate bathroom. Oh, you have a nicer car. I have to get a nicer car. And it's all putting us more and more into debt and we have to work more and more. So then we don't really see our kids. We don't really spend time with ourselves. We're just running away from ourselves. And again, it's a trauma response, not willing to really address what happened through your life. Like, um, can you sit and process whatever happened in your childhood? So I'm kind of taking a holistic approach to decluttering because so many people want you to just come and organize their clutter. But it's not about organizing the clutter. It's about really removing the excess and finding peace in these minimalist things. Like that to be scared to be a minimalistic person because it's all about living an intentional life and creating freedom. Because the less you need, the more time you have and the more money you have. So the less you work, really. Like, why do we have to work nine hours a day, like, you know, in a rush? We don't have to. Like, who said that? It's just the society who created this very unhealthy norm that usually only government benefits from it because we pay crazy taxes and we just support this consumerist culture. Wow, this was so eye-opening to me. Have you noticed the consumer? Have you noticed the consumerism culture? I was intrigued to know more and what exactly it looks like to work with her. So I'm on Instagram and I have my website and I also have my Facebook group for women because when I, I guess, broke through my healing and released that shame, I just realized that I always had to pay for support and I had to pay for the courses. I spent probably at least $40,000 over the last four years for my healing, growth and transformation. So I created a Facebook group where I share my story, like whatever I shared here, whatever my challenges are, because it's not like... I don't have any challenges right now because it's life, right? Life is challenging, but it's how we approach those challenges. So I have my Facebook group for moms where I also promote um, like a simple, intentional living, helping them decrease and resolve the overwhelm and anxiety and just bring more balance there. And to work with me, you can just work, you know, one-on-one sessions if you just want to take it by sessions. But I do have the 12-week program where we move through steps, kind of what I went through in my life, which is minimize, meditate, manifest. So it's minimize, so declutter, like let go of your stuff. So after my divorce, I moved from a house to a condo and that gave me so much freedom and so much time for my daughter. Like I honestly don't even have to clean much. Cleaning is probably taking me half an hour because I don't have much. So the surfaces are empty. Like, you know, it takes really a breeze to clean the space. 
So a minimized step is all about decluttering physical, but also decluttering your relationships because it's so important to learn how to set boundary and how to analyze your relationships and see if they're adding value or if they're really draining you because we often stay super busy because we don't have right people around us or we're really codependent and we need those people to function. And then the next step is meditate. So what I've done in my life. So yeah, we can move through the clutter, but we also have to heal whatever made us clutter, whatever made us attracted to those people, whatever made us, you know, or, or is making us shopping every weekend instead of spending quality time with the kids. Why do we always take them to shopping mall? And why do we buy stuff that we don't really need? Or probably we often buy because we don't even know what we have. And then manifest, which is, yeah, create a different life, create a different future, create something better. We often want to manifest things, but we, we have to realize that in order to manifest, we really have to change our energy, change our vibe, the vibration. So release stuff that is not serving us, let go, and then we can create something new. Because if we're not going to do this purging process, this letting go process, we're just going to manifest the same thing. So more drama, more overwhelm, more anxiety. So like you get to choose, right? Like, yes, decluttering, simplifying may sound overwhelming for some, but it's the putting on the scale. There's an overwhelm of your current life and there's an overwhelm of something temporary, uh, something that may be overwhelming to declutter if you have a lot of stuff or if you struggle in relationships or to address all these things. Uh, it's not an easy process. As you know, like it's a very painful process. Like I share, like I cried entire year, but we need it. Like I still have probably at least 40 years here on this planet. So I'd rather take uh, three, four years to heal and to experience sadness, to be okay with saying that I'm sad, not, you know, this hi, how are you? Like, ask me how am I feeling? And I'm actually feeling low today. Uh, I'm not feeling great. And people don't even know how to receive these things because we're so used to like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Like, no, the real life is you're not fine. Like, we're not fine. Like, especially now, like what's happening in the world. She offers one-on-one and also 12-week programs. She does work in person with local people, but also can work through Zoom if you're really willing to commit and let her teach you. So since you're listening, I did score you guys a great deal. If you reach out to her and mention the code BEYOND, she is offering a 30% discount for my Beyond listeners. Wahoo! Anyway, so this whole minimalist idea is super new for me, and I had a lot of questions. Again, I needed her to expand. You don't have to organize. If you declutter, there's not much really organization happening. If you really have little things, you don't really need, uh, like, yeah, you need maybe a few containers to make things easier. But the less we have, the less we need of those. Like, you can just use shoeboxes and stuff like that. And if you have kids, I guess it's helpful, some of the boxes to organize their toys, but kids also don't need really a lot of toys because toys causing like really overwhelm to them. And the more they have, that's why the ADHD, all these like extra impulses, it's like, no, we have to just simplify. My daughter's still 12. Like she can play with a ripped sheet from the bed for five hours. Kids are so creative, so intuitive. Like we shouldn't be killing it with access because we feel bad because we work so we take them shopping on the weekend that's not the way i think to like sustain like the parenthood and sustain the livelihood to raise like good kids like we should become probably more conscious parents analyzing also that 
kids are the greatest viewers. So if we're yelling at our kids, that's the work that we have to do on ourselves. Like my daughter is also the biggest mirror, like learning how to apologize to our kids. If we get triggered by them, if we yell at them, often kids throw tantrums because they just want to express their emotions. And if we were kids that we were not able to express our emotions, we, we can't really hold that container for our kids to express their emotions. But all they want is just scream. Let them just scream. Can you have capacity to do it? So uh, I think the simple life, the less we have, the more capacity we have for those things that matter most, which is probably a family if you have one. Everything she was saying kept blowing my mind. So the questions just kind of poured out of me. How many toys does she recommend we have? I recommend that the toys that are not like, you know, those like noisy, like something that creates so blocks, Lego, like the train trucks, like that brings that in line to the creativity with kids. But like kids can't really play with anything. Like, you know, like if you have delivery and you have boxes, just dump a box for them to play. And I'm sure they're going to just cut it out and create something with tape and and play with it for half a day. But you can experiment and just reduce and always include kids with a letting go process. Like never do it yourself. It's more about including them and teaching them from the beginning that if the toys is broken or is missing pieces, let's just like, you know, let go of it. Or if we have really too much, there's kids that need, like there's kids that have none. So even going to different shelters and just introducing that idea to them that we can actually share with those that need more. But to answer the question of how many, I don't really have the number. Obviously, the less you have, the less you clean, right? The less mess they create. Because if they have a lot of toys, they're just going to throw this all in the playroom. And then in the end, probably they're not going to play with any of them. So just those quality toys, those toys that are really making them creative and their imagination is... Uh, is growing. My brain's still rejecting this concept. I asked, okay, so what about like birthday presents? I'm all about creating experiences and memories, not like stuff. So when my daughter has a birthday party, I always, if parents are asking or if my family is asking, I'm all pro like gift cards, like, you know, the zoo trip or like the Wonderland. I'm going to hear like the, you know, the like the roller coaster rides, whatever experience, movie theater. Like experiences and memories, like maybe you want to take her somewhere and she's going to remember that time with you. So you can just, um, my best friend can just take her with her daughter and, you know, I don't know, they can go to the movies and grab a dinner afterwards just to, yeah, just to have memories and experiences because that's what we can store in our heart. An extra toy often with our parents or grandparents, they often do it for themselves because they actually like to shop. Well, next time when you're, when someone brings it, it says like, okay, you know what? I don't mind uh, giving you, giving it, let's say if it's your mom or ask them. That's, I think I was talking on Instagram live with one of the minimalist mom and she gave me this great idea. That's what she does. Just take it with you. My kid is going to play in your house and see if they're going to be so willing to take it to their house because it's so much easier to dump the stuff in someone else's space. But are you willing to take it and wait for my son or daughter to come and play with it in your place? Because if these are grandparents, I'm sure they're visiting, right? So if you really have that urge to go and shop, because so many, and I can hear it from my friends' stories and clients, like our parents, grandparents, they're just obsessively shopping. Like, you know, there's a Black Friday, there's this, 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 and they just want to, it's not a sale if you don't need it. You just need that, those like hormone excitement, right? 
How can you get excited without that? That's the work. That's the inner work. That's the inner healing. This really gets me thinking. Do we really need all this stuff? Like tablets, toys, game consoles, all of these things left unbridled really steal from us the thing we as humans crave most. All of this stuff can get in the way of human connection. I've never looked at it this way before. How often do you see a kid or parent just staring at their screen? And I think they all deep inside, they crave that. Like their language is like 12-year-old daughter. Like she's been going through some, like, you know, when they're 12 at school, there's also drama between girls. So she's like, oh, mommy, let's play hide and seek. We're playing hide and seek. And I was like, wow, she's 12 and she wants me to play hide and seek with her. That's truly adorable. So I just put all my stuff away and I was like, okay, let's just play hide and seek. <laughs> but sometimes that's just... That's just how they want to like feel seen and loved by our parents, by us. But we constantly say, oh, maybe later I have to do dinner. Oh, maybe. No, just. Yeah. I certainly feel enlightened and I'm grateful that she went through this so that she could learn all of these things and now share them with others. I'm grateful for the food for thought. I don't know if I will clean out my entire house, but I do know that my heart is touched by her story. I'm inspired by the courage it takes to admit to an emotional affair, the bravery to look at your feelings about others as mirrors to address the trauma within yourself, the grace to admit your faults but not punish yourself, and the compassion to forgive. This is superwoman work. I hope to find inner peace as still and beautiful as hers soon. And with that, I asked, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I guess I would say um, a very damaged, uh, broken, like inner child, like little me that never received what she was supposed to receive. Every child uh, deserves to be loved and held and hugged and understood. And uh, all my mistakes, quote unquote, are just lessons to me. And I hope no one is going to judge me for my mistakes because mistakes are there to, to teach us. And uh, it's just, we have to have capacity to notice the mistakes as lessons, not as some sort of like a point to judge someone. So never judge yourself because probably what you're judging someone or yourself, like it's just simply something that you have to heal and address. This has been another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. If you have a story to share, please reach out to me through my social media or at beyondwithchelsea at gmail.com. If you like the show and you'd like to support it, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash beyondwithc. I don't actually drink coffee, so it's actually just going to go to like helping with production costs and everything. But yeah, I'll link all of that in the show notes. And remember to always be kind because you never know what's going on beyond the picket fence.